0: Welcome to Reshape, a podcast that connects you to great thinkers and change makers. My name is Rania Masri Al Khatib, and I would be your host. After a 20 year career built with passion and tenacity, I launched my own boutique advisory called the RMK Collective. In the past, my projects were always a success when the right people were empowered by the right ecosystem. I believe that energy is the fuel that creates powerful synergies and creativity. I will create for you talks from the human collective to debate and inspire you around topics and trends impacting our societies and industries at large. Together, we can learn, grow, and redefine success. Hi Anne-Marie.
1: Hello, how are you?
0: very good it's so good to finally have you on the podcast to talk about something that's been on my mind in my conversations in my circles for such a long time and I was so glad that I got to discover you at the Summit of Crunch Moms and realize that somebody's dedicating a lot of time to this topic, which is the topic of, I would say, female health um, in general. And, uh, and you'll tell us a lot more what that consists of. Maybe if you could take a few minutes to just let us know about your journey, Anne-Marie, because I know that you were and are a journalist that really... Um, you know, focused a lot on the topic of female health and launched your own platform called Hot Flash Inc., which is a very cool name. (laughs) I guess a lot of people can guess what it's about. Funny enough, I'm always teasing my husband because he's always so hot and he's always so moody. And I tell him, you know what, you're getting menopausal. So I'm always teasing him about that. So maybe there is a space for men as well. Please do, do tell us a little bit about your journey
1: and how you got to
0: focus on this uh, today.
1: Okay. So first of all, it is possible because there's something called andropause. It's a little more gentle, but it involves uh, low testosterone and it sounds like he might um, be experiencing it and it's hard for men to get help. So that's a whole other topic that I do like to include. Um, okay. So it's like a short, the last couple of years of my life and the last like 25 years of my life that led to this because- Uh, I lost my mom when she was 53, the age I am now, and I was 27, and my mom was always sort of an unwell person, and she ultimately died of pancreatic cancer, but before that, there was just a range of endometriosis and infections and fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue. She was a lovely person and a nurse, but just health-wise, and back then, there was just, we knew so little, and it was so hard to get information. And I didn't realize that that sort of informed my career. So I wanted to be a that I was just starting my career uh, when she died. And I wanted to be, you know, like a political reporter and a hard driving journalist. And I did veer in and out of those things and develop those skills. But I was always pulled into health. And now looking back the age that she was when she died, I now know that the reason I was always interested in health and alternative and complementary and the difference between Eastern and Western is because of this, because why was my mom sick? Why was she sick so much? What could have been done emotionally, physically, spiritually, what was going on, all those things, you know, I didn't really face up to. And so now I know, now I know that that's sort of been my driving force and I didn't know what was happening. And I didn't know what was happening for many years. Like I, I'd say 41 to 47. I just thought I was dying most of the time. I really did. And it started with the way early early, perimenopause, and we can talk about this later, but it often does start with uh, anxiety, depression, really big sleep problems. And that's what happened to me. Like I started having recurring nightmares, just these horrible nightmares, uh, a sense of doom in the morning. If I did get back to sleep from those nightmares, uh, like paranoia, obsessive, intrusive thoughts. And I, you know, all this stuff was just my normal. And I would sort of say to people, do you ever get these things? And no one would, you know, everyone sort of look at me. I'd sit at work. I was working at the national newspaper at the time um, as the arts and life and features editor. And I would have these like tingling all over my body, weird smells. I would think I'm having some sort of stroke or aneurysm. I would have these whooshing feelings, really bad headaches. That would, I, I would end up in the ER for that. Um, chest pains, like, you know, and in between I had regular life, but it's only when you're looking back that you're kind of like, that was really, really difficult. And at about 47, I skipped a period and I thought, Oh, okay. I am 47 to me. Menopause was something you went through when you were 60 and you were old. And that's part of the problem. We can talk about that too. Mm -hmm. But I, at that point I'm a content obsessive, you know, like that was one of the things I loved about being a features and editor is just pulling together like the best content, the richest, fullest on multiple platforms using video and audio and everything. And when I started looking for information for myself, I just made a Google alert. I just hated what came back. It was uh, polarized even then um, in 2017, 2018. And it was often just to sell a product, very thin, uh, very general, um, you know, a lot of articles, everything you need to know about menopause, which is impossible to have in an article. So Mm -hmm. I just, I thought, I think I'm going to launch something. And I was, I had always been taken with the Goop model, how Gwyneth Paltrow started a newsletter and obviously she had a lot more resources and connections. But I thought maybe I can do a newsletter. And this was before Substack and journalists going independent had really happened. So there was no real model. But in 2020, in the pandemic, I just started with a newsletter and I've gone from there. I decided to make it my beat in addition to still working.
0: Absolutely. But you are working and you are raising so much awareness about a topic that still remains somewhat taboo. Like you said, everybody says it's something that happens to older ladies. And it's something that we've seen our mothers go through without really talking much about it. And you said, you know, uh, and we talk a lot, especially during the season on Reshape about preventative versus reactional, basically. But I'd like to just, you know, um, circle back on what you said. So during that whole phase between 41 and 47 that you were going through this, you clearly went to see doctors for it. For your, let's say, anxiety, did you go see a psychologist or a psychiatrist? And for your physical pain, I'm sure that you've gone to see GPs or or a, a gynecologist. What kind of tests or what kind of feedback did you get during that time?
1: Well, no one ever said a word about, about my age or perimenopause. And I didn't know that word. And I just found an article that I wrote in Canada in 2007, I think it was about menopause being a trend, you know, menopause being the new puberty. And it didn't say perimenopause in it at all. And I interviewed experts. So I was, uh, I did four years of therapy with a psychologist. All of the things I did during this time, Rania, were very, very helpful. Um, because I don't think just knowing you're in perimenopause or menopause is enough. And I don't think just having some sort of alternative or um, mainstream treatment is enough because we know from the evidence that when you hit this life stage, you bring with you everything that you've had before, all your unhealthy coping me- mechanisms, lifestyle, et cetera, and everything that's happening to you at the time, all contribute to make this transition more difficult. So I had a lot of stuff to work through. The reason I, I know now that the reason it hit me so hard psychologically and physically was because I had a lot of stuff to work through. So I um, I had four years of therapy with a psychologist, helped immensely. I didn't want to go on any medication for mood issues. So I never did do that. Um, I had a pretty big health crisis with a major nexus of stress and developed like exhaustion and adrenal problems. And my eyelashes fell out, which made me, sent me to a natural, that's very scary when something like that happens. And that is your body knocking and saying like, hello, you know, please, please pay attention. I I went to a naturopathic doctor. She helped me heal from all that. She warned me and said, if you don't change your lifestyle with stress, tons of working out, not having joy, not having fun, that you're going to get really sick. And so she sort of scared me straight and I adopted a much better, um, habits. I'd always had IBS and gut issues since I started my journalism career. No, you know, my mom died and my journalism career started very like stressful things that happened and it's no surprise to me, but I just lived like that for years and you can't, you can't live like that. So I adopted a whole bunch of strategies, coping strategies myself, um, mechanisms, but I still used exercise to try and deal with anxiety. I still coped in unhealthy ways. I still drank too much on the weekend to deal with anxiety. A lot of people do that. And really no one I saw, like, you know, when you end up in the ER with chest pain, no one's mentioning my age with the headaches. No, no one during that time was saying a word. And when I missed the first period, I had my, a French gynecologist. And I said to her, you know, is. There's some hormone therapy because I now know progesterone is a good sort of ramp on ramp to help with those mood issues. And she said, "Uh, they don't I don't like what they have here. And I don't I don't like to start people on hormone therapy until they're through menopause. And my second gynecologist also said the same thing, even though she knew I was well, well into perimenopause. So those are the kind of things that I was hearing. Just nothing about my age or my, you know, I went and sought psychological counseling. No one suggested that I had any sort of mental health problems. And I developed a real health anxiety during this time, which a lot of people do, because when you're constantly having the weirdest stuff happening to you,
0: I mean, one, and then you had a mother that passed away very early on. Um, That's something that, you know, whether or not we don't speak about it enough. But for myself, for example, my interest so much in female health is because my mom developed Alzheimer's at a very young age. She developed Alzheimer's at the age of 68. So, um, you know, and, and... no no signs of it before but now we do know and we do understand that there's a lot that can be done at least to delay any kind of uh you know potential disease and it's not a question of oh that's destiny or oh these are genetics you know the way that we were all brought up to think
1: yes it's so interesting you say that like i used to think of health like i used to think when i went to the doctor like Oh, what is the blood test going to say? Like, I would just wait, like it was something I had no control over and something was going to come from outside. And that's what I literally thought about my health. It's not like that at all. Like you, there's a long ramp for a lot of these diseases and things that happen. And even now when understanding what that is, I can understand even what probably led to my mom's pancreatic cancer. You know, like I can even get that now. It's not It's it's, So it's not the mystery and it's figuring that out, but we didn't know that, right? We were just wandering around thinking, oh, this is it. (laughs) There are those situations, right? There are those health situations that come out of nowhere and and it's very bad luck. So that's not it.
0: I mean, for sure. But what this season is really about is just understanding and being, if you want, attentive to what kind of um, science is out there today, what kind of at least writings is out there today, what kind of data that we can get our hands on. The guest that was before you was talking about looking at your Ecosystem in your body, your free DNA, and how your lifestyle and everything is impacting you know what 's going on there, and changes you could make in order for you to delay cancer to delay aging to delay to increase you know a healthy a healthy life right or to live longer healthier it 's not just a yeah. question about living longer. And it's not democratized enough yet. It's not accessible enough yet, including the topic that you and I are talking about today. And I don't think there's a lot of platforms such as yours. And that's why when we spoke the first time, I told you, you need to write a book. Because we still sit around, you know, I'm I'm 40. I still forget how old I am. I'm 46. And I still, uh, you know, sit around with my friends. And we all range between, you know, early 40s to like, early fifties and none of us can really tell what the differences between premenopause, perimenopause, menopause, what's out there. We send each other podcasts that are like two hours long with a scientist. We could barely understand what she's saying. So, so help us a little bit with this. You know, what are these terms? First of all, and clarify a bit the differences to our listeners. You know, what are the symptoms? premenopause, perimenopause, and menopause, just simply put.
1: Okay, well, part of the confusion is around the world, people refer to them differently. And around the world, people use the term perimenopause, or they don't. And so I don't blame you for being confused. It's still confusing because it's still sort of developing the nomenclature about it. But premenopause is just basically a a woman, a fertile woman, or or a woman, just a normal woman. (laughs) You know, a woman who's gone through puberty until um until she enters perimenopause. So that's premenopause is just our you know standard state. Perimenopause seems like it's this big mystery, you know, it seems like it's this big mystery. Basically, menopause is the year that you go 1 12 months without a period. And I've recently heard that year referred to as the transmenopausal year, which I really really like because just calling menopause for a while, I thought it was the moment in time that you had went a year without a period. And then you were postmenopausal. We're hearing a lot more that it's transmenopausal year. And then once you've passed that, you are menopausal for the rest of your life. Because menopausal situations and symptoms can extend into that time. It's not like you won't experience maybe hot flashes or sleep problems or whatever. So I like that a lot better, but by no means is it standard. You'll still hear premenopause, perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. So it's up to people what they want to think. But it makes a lot more sense for me that that transmenopausal year is denoted with a specific language, because I've just been through it, and it is something else. And um, and then you're menopausal. Perimenopause is where the confusion starts. So the average age of menopause is around 51. But you know, I'm 53, it can be late 40s. Uh, if it's an early menopause, you're getting under 45, under 40, and that's a different situation altogether. Perimenopause can last 10, 12, some people say 15 years before menopause. There isn't agreement on that. A lot of people say six years, but I know I'm 53 and it started around 42, 41. So within perimenopause, that seems like a big mystery, but we have some researchers who've done some good work. There's something called the straw which is broken down. It broke it down into early and late perimenopause. A doctor that I've interviewed, Dr. Jerry Lynn Pryor, a really bright, brilliant endocrinologist working out of uh, UBC in Canada. She broke that down even further. And Lara Bryden, who's someone else who's amazing to follow, she wrote Hormone Repair Manual. She's done a little bit more work. So if I could just make it really simple, early perimenopause, your period can still be the same. You might start experiencing some anxiety, some sleep issues, and that's because the early stage of perimenopause is when your progesterone is dropping. When you hit the first stages of perimenopause, your estrogen may still be the same level. Your testosterone has been dropping since your late 20s, so that may be having an impact, but your progesterone starts dropping, and when that progesterone is receding, it triggers a sort of dysregulation in your hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis, your abil- your body's ability to cope with stress. And that's what many people talk about. I just, I don't feel like me. I can't cope with stress. And look at me. I'm having, look at what I had. I had the nightmares. I started having obsessive intrusive thoughts. Your period, you're still having regular periods. And so you may say it doesn't change, but often it changes within the period. You know, the period gets... People will have these flooding periods at certain points, or for me, just the heavy day switched to the fourth day. And that's when I had cramps. It was the same length though. And so that was happening. And then as you move through perimenopause, you may start experiencing the hot flashes and some of the other symptoms, the body pains and the body aches, because what's happening with your estrogen? Everyone sort of talks about estrogen, like it jumps off a cliff, but it doesn't. Progesterone's going down and your estrogen is rising and falling. So a lot of the time in perimenopause, you have a lot of estrogen. And when your progesterone's low, you, you're in a state that is excess estrogen and you can have breast pain and you can feel really aggressive and angry. And so that's what's happening there. And you know, you're moving into the later stages of perimenopause when you start having the period changes. Like, look at me, 47, skip a period. Then I go three months. Then I'd have every, then I'd have two in a row, you know, like bang, bang, right after each other. And that's when I experienced a lot of body pain. I had terrible breast pain for a while and that's high estrogen. So as you're moving through, you can sort of track where you are um, on that spectrum, but no one really knows how long it lasts. So when I figured this out, maybe two years ago, when I came across this information, I was like, oh, okay. Okay. I'm getting later, you know. I'm getting later, and in the later stages of perimenopause, you can track things like follicle-stimulating hormone, which rises, and anti-malaria. I never know how to say this. AMH -hmm. that also Mm -hmm. rises, and that's where you're seeing some of the perimenopause tests that are out there. But most experts I speak to don't hold any stock in them whatsoever. And one last thing about this is that I like to say that the first symptom of perimenopause is denial because none of us wants to be going through this. Like we were just 25 and we blinked and where did the time go and how could we be facing this? And I have friends who know I spend all my time doing this, who are 41, 42 experiencing anxiety, like never before sleep problems, but no, nope, no, nope, it's not like, it's just like this. If, and, you know, I don't want to be the old lady who's talking about menopause to them all the time, right? But they'll figure it out on their own. But once you once you wrap your head around it and you understand this is just a gateway into a really productive, massive portion of your life, if you're lucky, then it's not a bad thing. It's just you have to get over that hurdle, that hump. And a lot of people are still hoping to have children. I know I was. I haven't had children. So that's a really tough one. But you still can have children through the early stages of perimenopause. And some people say you're actually at times can be more fertile because of the high estrogen. So That's
0: so interesting that you say that because the last test I had a year ago, I think, and I was sure, and I'm still sure, and this is why I wanted to reach out to you eventually to look at what kind of tests I could do that I am perimenopausal. And then the doctor said, you could still have children as if that equates to you not being perimenopausal. And I remember going home and telling my teenager and my husband, and they looked at me, that scared. No way. <laughs> no more anything into this house. But yeah. But that's uh, so. It's it, it's it's interesting that you say that. That's not because I can still have kids. That it means that I'm not
1: perimenopausal. No. Yeah. The thing that's really confusing for everyone here, and. The thing that blows my mind all the time is that a lot of doctors don't know anything about this. They they really don't. They either didn't study it in medical school and this is OBGYNs. They either didn't study it in medical school or they studied it for an hour or two. Anyone who's become a specialist in this has educated themselves and gone and, gone and learned on their own. So women are told all the time, "Nope, your tests are normal, but you can't test for estrogen." rises and falls too many times in the in the month. It's too crazy. You can't you can't test for those hormones reliably in perimenopause. So over and over, I have a friend who's a nurse. She was her doctor just told her, no, you're not in perimenopause. And then she had to go find a, you know, perimenopause informed gynecologist, of which there aren't that many. So it feels weird to be going against the doctor that always knows everything, right? But this is one of the things that we're being called to do at this time, I think, is to understand that that doctor who sits behind the screen doesn't know everything and often they haven't been keeping up and it's up to you to be like, ah, I think I may, maybe need to look for a better doctor for this and I need to learn what's going on myself as hard as that is.
0: And and that's where functional medicine, functional medicine is coming, you know, at the forefront, you know, for a lot of people like us. So you speak a lot about hormone health, obviously. Hormone health is at the heart of this. Uh, You spoke about an endocrinologue. Um, You know, I removed my thyroids when I was in my early 20s. And I've been on, you know, on hormone therapy, if you want, a replacement therapy to my hormones my whole life. And I know that this is a very important part of navigating your body as a woman. Um, You know, what are kind of the misconceptions? I know you spoke about a few, but what are the misconceptions when it comes to hormone therapy? And there is the whole idea of HRT, which is hormone replacement therapy. Um, There was a lot of backlash about it, you know, probably when we were younger. And now there's a lot of awareness, but not enough. People are still stuck because there was so much awareness on how bad it could have been for you and how it could lead to cancer, et cetera, which I know was debunked a lot now. But tell us a bit about this and your theory.
1: It's such a huge, huge topic. First of all, HRT, hormone replacement therapy, isn't really the right term anymore, because if you, if you have had surgical menopause way before menopause, then it is hormone replacement therapy, right? Like you're, you need to take it because the health risks go up on almost every front. When you have a hysterectomy early, you absolutely need to be on it. And same with people who've had a cancer treatment and that sort of thing. Um, you need, they, they can't always take hormone therapy. That is definitely up for debate, but they need to be very vigilant about the risks of ha- losing those hormones early. So we're calling it now more menopause hormone therapy or hormone therapy, but old, old terms diehard. Before the Women's Health Initiative study in 2002, which is what you're talking about, it was just like everyone was on hormones and it was like a hormone heyday and a very, very recognized thing to do, even though menopause was still stigmatized. I'm just always very careful about marketing and industry and companies and where we fall in that can you look back at some of the marketing initiatives in the 50s and 60s for hormone therapy and they're pretty egregious right like sort of like replace your hormones so you can be a real woman that kind of language like i mean really so when the when the 2002 study came out basically you know, they were, they were studying women who were much older going on hormone therapy and the the data set was wrong and the methodology was wrong and it scared everyone off hormone therapy. And it's taken years to sort of change that and raise that awareness that no, it's not, it doesn't cause cancer per se. There's, it doesn't raise your risk of cardiovascular disease and dementia per se, but it may, you know, it may, there are situations. So now we're in an era of bioidentical, body identical, biosimilar, whatever you want to call them, mass-produced hormones that are most like the hormones that we make. So the estradiol, it's no longer like the, you know, horses, urine, premarin of the past. You can take... And, the, and these forms and gels, patches, sprays are considered to be safer than the originals. And when you have a uterus, you have to take hormone therapy. You have to take progesterone to offset the estrogen in your body because estrogen makes things grow and it makes good things grow and it makes bad things grow. And it can, uh, so to keep your uterus safe, you have to take progesterone. So, you know, you don't want to have endometrial hyperplasia. Uh, It can lead to uterine cancer if you just take estrogen. And so that is very, very, very important. So we now have these mass-produced depends what you call them different all over the world gels patches sprays that are safer you pair that with oral micronized progesterone which is also more similar to what our body makes this is really relatively safe and most of the guiding bodies around the world say that if you take hormone therapy starting within the window of opportunity which is within 10 years of when you go through menopause that it's generally safe. And the risk of breast cancer are very low, like one in a thousand people and the risk for cardiovascular disease and dementia are low. And then there's a lot of people pushing that hormone therapy actually prevents cardiovascular disease and dementia. This is something that I don't believe from my research has been proven in any way. And there are studies showing that it, can be preventative, there are studies showing that it can cause it. And a lot of the people online do something called cherry picking, like they have a belief, they really want to say that hormone therapy is preventing dementia and can prevent dementia. And so they'll pick this study below ignore this study. So I pick my experts very carefully. And we are not there yet in the evidence. And maybe we will be I'm very open to it. But in the meantime, there's a lot of things that you can do. And so I think the most important thing to recognize is that you can go on hormone therapy within the window of opportunity. There are some tests you can take that I think will give you a little bit more insight, and we can talk about those. And they're tests that I'm taking before I consider it. I don't think there's evidence yet for the longevity claims, the disease prevention claims that people are making. The other thing about hormone therapy is that there is this sort of fight between the mass produced sort of FDA approved methods of this Bioidentical, biosimilar forms, and those forms that are produced in a compounding pharmacy. And a compounding pharmacy, you know, they'll produce you your estradiol, and it's sort of in a bespoke preparation. And same as with progesterone. The fight is on social media, really, where you'll hear people say uh, bioidentical hormones are a scam, compounding pharmacies are dangerous and not regulated and expensive. And I do believe that is two industries fighting each other. And there are Mm. millions of women on compounded hormones doing so safely. There are a lot of doctors recommending them. And the smartest, most forward-thinking doctors I talk to say sometimes the commercial preparations don't work and we use the bioidentical. Where you want to be careful is if you're going to a doctor and they're just immediately trying to put you on compounded hormones and they're really expensive and you can't afford it, or, you know, I, there are options that might be covered by healthcare. I hope that hasn't been too confusing. It is just a bit of a rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> it is a very vast, if you want, space that we're in
0: today. And like you say, there's a lot of experts and there's a lot of we still, I, th- I hope 20 years from now or 10 years from now, there will be proper experts and at least the OBGYNs are going to have that kind of schooling or, you know, to be able to, to to properly assess body by body or situation by situation, which is not the case today. We're talking about doctors right now, you know, and they do become very important. I don't know how many of us, you know, we're all just thinking, oh, did you do your mammogram? You have to do your mammogram at this age. And, you know, and that's all that we do, a pap smear once a year and a mammogram once a year. And that's been the case, you know, nobody's just saying what are the other tests. So what kind of tests, considering that 90% of the OBGYNs today do not have the expertise that you're talking about? If I want to hold the destiny and I want to drive my health and my uh, condition and my whatever, what are the type of tests that I should be asking for?
1: Well, this is a time in perimenopause. It's sort of a vulnerability that I also like to call an opportunity. When those hormones are in flux and receding, it, a lot of things just become apparent. I sort of think of it like the, the tide on the beach when it comes out and the garbage is left. It's, it's a bit like that. And just to use my example, and this is something that you hear a lot. So I had these gut issues for years. I lived this hard driving life. And even after the scare still continued. Well, by the time I got to my late 40s, I had this sort of cascade of issues. I had insulin resistance, prediabetes, leaky gut, fatty liver, and low thyroid and Hashimoto's. That's a special case of someone who had a lot of things, but I think that average person really wants to be zeroing in for sure on their blood sugar tests. You know, their their fasting glucose, their insulin resistance, their A one C, all of those, and keeping track and keeping them within ranges. You really want to be focusing if you've got any blood pressure issues in making lifestyle changes in healing those, and. I think fatty liver, which apparently a third of people in the US have, and that's a problem that's caused by many mechanisms, but it also is worse when you're overweight. I think getting a scan and seeing a gastroenterologist to, to determine if you have fatty liver and reversing it is also really important. A lot of people talk about bone density and getting a, the importance of getting a DEXA scan. I don't. I haven't had a DEXA scan, I'm, I'm probably going to get one. I just know that you need to lift weights and do strength bearing things and nourish yourself and move. And this is more important than ever. And if you haven't been doing it, it's not too late. Just get started. Lifting weights, strength training, Pilates, whatever you need to do. Um, So those are the tests. And that's like sort of the top line that I would make sure that I, as a woman in perimenopause knew what was going on. And I understood because The vulnerabilities that appear at this time, and when I say they're opportunities, you know, when you talked earlier about your mom, and we know that all these diseases have a sort of a highway, right? And then it sort of narrows down the highway, and we can get off the highway, we can make dramatic changes just with lifestyle and sometimes with supplements and turn it around. I mean, I, that, that was me a year ago and I've turned everything around. And so it's completely possible by working with your doctor. Prediabetes is not something anyone should just, that should be taken very, very seriously.
0: Absolutely. And then when you talk about nutrition and lifestyle, I know that there's been at least a lot of awareness on that, but also when it comes to the female body until very recently, you know, most of the research out there or the advice that was coming from trainers or from, you know, doctors, etc., was very, very male-driven. And when we get closer to our menopausal age, I hear that weight training is extremely important for women, but also certain types of exercises are not beneficial for mm-hmm. women. So what kind of lifestyle or nutrition that you feel are more specific to women uh, that we don't know about?
1: Well, a lot of us arrived... In perimenopause, chronically under eating, chronic dieters, chronically under eating, and maybe not even really admitting it or recognizing it. That's a huge proportion of us. And others arrived with using exercise almost as a punishment, using exercise in a way that I would say is probably not that healthy. And I include myself in that. And that's what I did up until my late 40s. And when you're just trying to handle a problem with the same thing you've done, and that thing probably worked for you when you were 30 and 35, you know, but it's, it doesn't work because you're in this sort of vulnerable zone. And that's why I, women always write like a fit women, you know, tra- trainers and stuff will write like, I'm just, I'm working out more than ever, but I'm not losing weight. And I've got this here. And I really do feel that it's really interfering with your body's stress response. And we have the data to back that up. It's so much different now. Like, you, you know, if, if CrossFit is working for you when you're 49, cause there's a lot of people it does then fine, but be open to acknowledging that you might have to change what you're doing. And I, that's what happened to me because it's just like, I, I can't hit my, it, it's not working. I'm exhausting myself and I would just become exhausted from the hour long F 45s that I would do. I wouldn't be able to recover for the rest of the day. And this acknowledgement is so lovely and I can say you know you will if you walk into weights you you can still be in great shape. And that's one of the amazing things that you find out when you allow yourself to have more rest. So that's definitely something. And nourishment, really, you know there's so much debate online and there's all these different schools of thought and they all serve people. Like, you know, the intuitive eating movement for people who have had disordered eating is very very helpful diets and not restricting too many foods i get that but so many women do well when they they eat whole foods and cut out processed foods and cut out alcohol and cut down on sugar as much as possible these are just really difficult and throw us sideways and there's lots of data to back that up in this time um you know processed carbohydrates that kind of thing and i know i In my later years of perimenopause, I had a couple of years of just intense body all over body pain. And that's why I went on the Whole30 diet, which some people will say is a really restrictive diet, but it's actually not. It's just cutting out anything processed. And once you realize what that's doing to you, you can kind of get off a roller coaster. And we have so little research on perimenopause and menopause. Like there are 1.1 million studies on pregnancy in PubMed and the database of all the studies of all time and 96,000, I think on menopause. So one tenth of the studies on pregnancy for something that happens to everyone. And there is barely anything that's been done on gut health and menopause. And I think it's huge. Gut and liver health, I think are huge. And one of the most interesting experts I spoke to was Dr. Burt Webb, who just passed away. He's in Arizona and I'm so sad, but he was the first doctor who ever mentioned that he used healing gut health he said, did such wonders for his perimenopause and menopausal patients. And it helped with all of the vagina problems that they had, the the vaginal microbiome, the bacterial vaginosis and the tendency to UTIs that we get when you clear up the gut Um, and the mood issues as well tend to clear up. And I am blown away that that's not at the center of the discussion, to be honest. I
0: mean, it's it's honestly unbelievable, and we've all tested it, and we all know I'm currently, as we speak right now, I've cut off processed uh, processed food and sugar and alcohol. Just, you know, I'm going through a period where I felt that I was getting highly anxious with everything that's happening in the world. And on top of that, having this, I couldn't hold it. And, you know, after a week of cutting that off, I just feared so much more focused, and it's just unbelievable because your body knows and your body's telling you, but we still end up wanting to hurt ourselves and punish ourselves and like reward ourselves with what's not good for us. And it is clear. I mean, this is something that, and like you said before, it's so important to know our bodies when you talk about f forty five. It is because in our heads, for some reason, exercise should not feel good. Exercise is something we have to do, you know. But it's the older you get, the more mature you get, the more you realize you're in tune with your body, and you and and, and your body's telling you something. You know, she's telling you, she's "Hey, telling you. that's not for us." You know, go and do that Pilates. I liked it more. Um, yeah. It's it's unbelievable. Other than the physical health, and we talked about this a lot before, is the mental health. One thing you were talking about, which is, you know, probably a first sign or symptom, you know, the the increased anxiety. And I feel at least around me in this region, A lot of women that now talk about it more tend to numb this anxiety with uh, medicine, which is totally okay. You know, for many, it's not something that I'm not at all against it. But I wonder if we do numb it for long enough and we think it's not there because it's actually dormant because of the medicine and we're not reacting to try to make it better other than therapy. How can these hormonal changes impact women's mental health and what kind of resources are available to understand this? I have heard very, very, very forward-thinking organizations that started taking that on as a benefit that needs to be given to women and their midlife, you know, employees, uh, in order to give them, you know, days off uh, during the month or you know or during the year because of the symptoms that they might be uh, experiencing because of menopause.
1: Yeah, I mean, menopause in the workplace is becoming a huge topic, and I think. There's an angle of it of just not being uh, discriminated against or harassed uh, because you're older. That That is menopause piece to it. And there's a rising number of menopause tribunals around the world. So I think companies who don't address it should because I think they'll be forced to maybe by a situation that they didn't anticipate. But just being able to be open about the fact that you're going through this, um, you know, having just a day that you can take off. If you're having a bad day, being able to work from home, you know, I had a really, really bad day, and I had a great editor. This was early on, and I said, "I, I just can I just work from home today?" And I, you know, I was a good employee, and he said, "You just need to take the day off." And I almost feel like crying because it was so lovely the way he said it. And I did. I just needed to take the day off. It's such a weird thing because this time of life is everything all at once. So I call perimenopause and menopause the heroine's journey is at the heart of every story ever told poem book and the hero is called to make a change to go on a great learning journey um, encounters negative and positive influences along the way has dark night of the soul if not several and ends up overcoming surmounting getting great But often, you know, comes back with a greater source of wisdom and shares it with the tribe. That's just basically the nut of it. And that's why I feel like this is the heroine's journey or the hero's journey, because the anxiety is there and it is hormonal, but often it has to do with other things, things that need to be dealt with. And you don't need to deal with everything all at once. You know, sometimes we need some progesterone and some hormone therapy or some supplements, or some talk therapy, while also acknowledging that this is a time of reckoning and reclamation and there is work probably to be done because we've lived decades on this earth and we've been through a lot. And you just don't get here without doing that. And I'm single and I've dated a lot in the last couple of years and I've dated men in their forties and they are experiencing this too. This is the human condition. This is the midlife crisis that we always heard about. So this is all wrapped up. I think if you can sort of get some relief and give yourself some relief for the immediate things. And one of the greatest things I've seen that's developed lately is somatic work, breath work. Some of the greatest advancement I've had in the last year has been from that. I've been doing this 90 breath work in Dubai, I did the workout, which she releases trauma in different parts of your body. I did the hips. I'm working on the jaw. I'm going to go to the shoulders next. Very powerful. I lost weight from that. I know that sounds crazy. Emotionally, the work I did on my own, I read the book. um, I think it's called Do the Work by the psychologist, Nicole LaPera. I took a bunch of courses online with Mark Groves. He's called Create the Love, unearthing all this stuff. I read The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, which is Mm. a pivotal book. Cheryl Paul, Unconscious Connections, she has a book called The Wisdom of Anxiety, and she's always saying, what is the anxiety, what's the message that, what is the message that's coming from within? Not, you know, anxiety tells you something's wrong, like you made a mistake at work and you're going to get fired. That's not the message. That's not what, that's not the real thing, you know, the underlying thing that you need to attend to, and often it's that you're not caring for yourself enough, so First off, the basics, like just the basics. And Lara Brydom writes about this in her book, Hormone Repair Manual, which I can't recommend enough. She has sort of like a perimenopause rescue kit and magnesium and taurine at night. She recommends she's an naturopathic doctor, uh, magnesium and taurine at night, cutting alcohol and going for walks. And she says 50% of her patients clear up with that. And then she might go on to progesterone if people still need. I would add morning walks. Because I think a lot of sleep problems can be cleared up by getting some morning sunlight. We have a lot of science on that. And the very handsome Andrew Huberman has, has brought that to the public.
0: So when you talk about magnesium, for example, I've read recently that it's been overly prescribed and that sometimes we can have an oversupply of magnesium.
1: I think it's pretty generally accepted that about of us are magnesium deficient. You can have your magnesium tested. You could also just try taking it. There's a lot of people taking too many supplements and I've definitely been that person. But magnesium is one that really helps with sleep. So I don't know. I think sort of tiptoeing in sideways with the magnesium. Do you
0: take it in the morning or the evening yourself? I take it in the evening.
1: Yeah. And I was taking it and I try. I didn't take it on a family vacation in 2009. And I swear I didn't sleep the whole time. I do think you have to pay attention. You can take too many supplements, but if you just take it the recommended dose and see how you feel, the same thing would happen mm-hmm. if you took hormone therapy. Like I would always recommend, like keep a journal, see how you feel. You know, mm-hmm. if you notice anything, like you have to write it down because we're really bad at connecting the pill we took and the... Especially if we're taking too many. Yeah, but every expert I've talked to is pretty unanimous on the magnesium question that it's an essential piece for a lot of women. And then you know, seeking, but not putting too much pressure on yourself, I think is also really important and cutting out processed food and cutting out alcohol. The other thing is if you've got gut health problems and you know it, and we're always bad at this too. Like I have friends right now who have gut health problems that refuse to acknowledge them. And they've got all the sort of markers of them, like problems with your fingernails, rashes, a lot of foods all of a sudden, um, not feeling well. I can tell by looking at people now, because I can tell by looking at pictures of myself in my forties, that was just like, oh my God, you know, I was so puffy and inflammated, swelling on your body. Like if these things are happening, it's very easily addressed and tackling your gut health can go such a long way um, to helping your parents, peri- So those are the basics, you know, I think it's like good. Like, are, I hear this a lot from experts. Like, are you doing the basics? Is there movement? Is there nourishment? Do you have a sleep routine? Like, are you looking at your phone in the middle of the night? Are you taking your phone to bed? Are you, you know, looking at your phone first thing in the morning, especially with what's going on right now?
0: But you do, you do agree, Anne-Marie, that it's also an 80, 20, um, lifestyle. Uh, so, because also doing, what do you call it, Um, overdosing on the good stuff can, you know, remove, if you want, joy from your life sometimes. And I've been such a big advocate of, you know, the bad effects of alcohol, especially on women. And I've spoken a lot about it. And I cut it completely off for like six months, maybe even longer. Then I realized, why does it have to be completely off, right? Why can't I just have... Because I enjoy the joy that comes from being with close friends and having a laugh and having, you know, a couple of drinks, maybe a bit more once in a while, yeah. you know, um, is also very valuable. We, we women love being together. We love the sense of community. And a lot of studies have shown that longevity comes from that sense of community, feeling that I'm heard, feeling that I'm seen. I'm not saying alcohol has to play a role in that, but also important that sometimes letting go um, from time to time and applying the 80, 20, maybe 90, 10 for certain age groups is also acceptable
1: and and uh, recommended. You know, it's funny. I had, a, I had one of the first Lululemon, like, you know, the little bags they give you when you buy clothes. I had the first one from them. And they don't have this anymore, but they had all their little sayings on the other side. And one of them was, don't be a perfectionist, like smoke a cigarette every once in a while. And I thought it was really funny. But it's like, yeah. And we, you know, anywhere you can look on social media, you can find people telling you why this isn't so. But I always think I look at the at vegans and veganism. And I remember saying, Well, isn't it just enough to just cut down on meat? Like, wouldn't that help the environment? Wouldn't that maybe help my health if indeed the meat is the Problem, and then anytime you talk to someone, it's like no, you have no, you have to cut it out altogether. And I just feel like that middle ground. It's like people aren't going to quit drinking. That's just the way it is. Many people aren't going to quit drinking. Well, drinking's awesome, you know. And I cut it out completely on my life this year, and I had two drinks about a week ago, and it was lovely. It was just like lovely, and I thought, oh, maybe I can have this in my life again, you know? Because I'm very much about moderation. Life is here; it's meant to be enjoyed, and that connection, that feeling of just. Spending time with people that get you is so, so important.
0: Tell us a little bit then about how Hot Flash Inc. facilitated this for women, you know, globally and any, any anecdote or any story you have on that.
1: Well, I started it globally because I just wanted to and it was during the pandemic. So I didn't have any thought about doing any sort of events. So I haven't personally done any events yet. I started it with 200 people on my newsletter list and now I've got like 5,500, I think. And that's a community of people. And there's, you know, there's CEOs on there of startups, like there's practitioners, there's a lot of women, just normal women around the world, um, social media, it's like there's little pockets of the community. And now what I'm trying to consider is how to bring them all together. You know, do I do an app? Do I do something like that, where I just bring it all together? But that Crunch Moms, where where we came across each other, after I got off the stage, I was surrounded by women just like dying for information. So now I'm talking to someone from one of the clinics in Dubai and we're talking about maybe starting to have events in real life. And I know when you gather together with women it's really powerful. In June I flew to New York and I was uh, on my way home to Canada, I appeared on a panel for Perry, which is a community. They have an app and I was one of the early people who made videos for them and I sat with, you know, some really powerful people in the US conversation. And a bunch of women came there and I met them and it was just like filled my soul. And I met a couple of my Instagram friends. Yeah, I sat in Bryant Park with this woman Skylar Liberty. And just to see them, I didn't realize that I was making a community for myself when I was doing this either. So I treasure, I now know people from like, you know, Beverly Hills to New Zealand to Melbourne. Like I it's crazy. And I'm also in a group in the UK called Mental Clarity. And that's doctors and menopause awareness campaigners. And we're all sort of just trying to calm down the conversation a little bit because there's a lot of hormone therapy hype. And that's not a great thing either. Because one of the things I didn't say was like, it's safe, but it's also not without the side effects and risks. And those are sometimes being ignored. So, but community is everything and I'm just figuring out how to do it, but I'm going to start having things in real life. So I hope you come. <laughs>
0: I, I love 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 what you just said and relate a lot to it, the idea of you creating a community because you wanted to give back, but what you realize is that you're you're taking in a lot of it and you're creating it for yourself. And that's just like the best, best feeling. Yes. Completely relate to that. Yeah. I so did it just um <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. It really is is something that, you know, is so so precious and I don't take it for granted. So if just, I know you've talked a lot about this, but like you just said, there's so much you know information out there and you need, you are an advocate, you know, how do you advise your community or the women that are
1: listening to this and men? It's getting to be uh, quite an interesting space. You have some genuine social media stars and doctors that are getting a lot of attention. They're really savvy and they know how to do it. There's some people that have huge followings that I won't cover or mention anymore because I really feel that they're in a tremendous conflict of interest and that what they're recommending and what they're saying and the divisive way that they're going about it is not helpful and not accurate. So when I look for experts, I just look for really reasonable people who know one thing and that's they don't know what they don't know you know, just really open-minded. Integrative physicians are way out ahead on this. They do really well with women in the metaverse because they're far ahead and they have, they're have they open-minded. And so I really don't like any of, I call them doctor menopause gurus. There's just some doctors that are just pushing hormone therapy for everything, making it seem like if you're, you're kind of a dummy, if you decide not to take it, acting like, you know, menopause is a disease. We weren't meant to live past 50 estrogen deprivation, estrogen deficiency, uh, menopause as a disease or a syndrome, these things all I think are just really dangerous. They're just not true if you think about it in a common sense way. So when I look for experts, I just look for really experienced, open-minded, rational, reasonable people who have specialties. And I put together a pretty good group there. And I approach it like I'm learning more and more, but I also don't know what I don't know. So. I'm just holding off on speaking about certain things until I get a little bit more savvy about them. I haven't talked extensively about hormone therapy until this year because I was still figuring it out in my mind. And I had to interview people and I had to have a full long conversation. I don't talk about a product or an expert, recommend an expert until I spent significant time. I've take, I've used it. I've spoken with them. I'm just, I'm very wary of anyone who does what I call cherry picking, who just like ignores the other data that doesn't um, jive with the point that they're trying to make. And I never want to be one of those people that's like, oh, she would say that, right? Like she would say that because that's what she thinks. And the moderate middle ground is really where I want to sit because um, I think that's where you find out the most things, but that is also irritating to some people uh, for sure. (laughs) I've had the conversation with someone who from a company who sells hormone therapy, who said, I should be talking about hormone therapy more And I was thinking, well, you would say that.
0: (laughs) It's so hard when we do what we do and then we get approached for sponsorship and et cetera. It's so hard to stay disciplined and really to make sure to, you know, to stay aligned to what your values are when it comes to this. And it's interesting for you to say that you stopped listening to some because you realize that the information is not necessarily a little biased and, and that's,
1: that's dangerous. Well, I still listen. I just don't, I just don't share. I think uh, something happens and it's called audience capture. Something happens when you hit a high enough level of social media that you, it just becomes a loop and a circle. Right. And, you know, I think there was that study with the, the kid who became a competitive eater and then he just blew up and died because he, that was, he became his thing where he's I, audience capture is where you just, constantly feeding the loop of what your audience wants i feel like someone should be watching doctors on social media someone should be moderating them in some way although i don't know who it would be because i feel like doctors have a duty to tell us not only what we want to hear but what we need to hear and on social media that gets lost when they get too big that's so that's my bugbear
0: yeah we go for clicks that's super interesting that's definitely a whole episode on its own the future, obviously now there is a momentum, thankfully for female health, not only in midlife, but in general, but it's evolving. You know, where do you see it going and what kind of changes do you wish for in the industry regarding it?
1: Well, hopefully there can be a lot more research because right now, most of the research on hormone therapy is just on hormone therapy. And one interesting area is that, the the progesterone, the bioidentical body identical I talked about versus progestogens, progestins, which are what are in your marina coil and in your birth control. If there's any risk, it seems to sit in those synthetic versions. And my hope is that when they start do bigger studies on hormone therapy, they separate out the progestogens and focus on the progesterone and see if perhaps it's not found to be safer. And that's not just me. That's more and more doctors are saying that in the last year, that progestin seems to be the problem. So that's one thing that I think really needs to be addressed, but it's a big icky question because a lot of people are on the pill and it, you know, it, is it safe? Is it not safe? I think it's probably safe, but I think you want all the information when you take hormone therapy. I think you want to know. So that's what I would love people to know. Really interested in psychedelics in CBD. Those things aren't great in this part of the world, but there's really interesting uh, work being done on those. Some of the other therapies, and I am really interested in the pre-hormone therapy testing that some of the integrative and functional people are doing. Jennifer Harrington is an ND in Australia, and she's one of the smartest people I've ever interviewed. She and other naturopathic doctors and integrative physicians will say, it's good to do some sort of testing. Like testing on how you're metabolizing your estrogen before you add in hormone therapy. Let's see. There's three pathways that you can metabolize your estrogen through. Let's see if you're doing it through the right one, the two, and you can adjust how you're metabolizing your estrogen, but a lot of people don't know this. And so You can do this with the Dutch urine test, which is a controversial test. It's not a test for perimenopause. It's a test to sort of test your overall markers, and you can figure out how you're metabolizing your estrogen there. Because if you're not metabolizing it correctly, you can be recirculating the old estrogen that's supposed to be excreted. This is confusing, and it's controversial, and I don't understand why. But that's just because the integrative field is so much further out. And uh, Christy Holland, who's a really smart woman in Australia as well, said, if it's dangerous to test, then show me why it's dangerous to test. But when I can test and see that we need to deal with these methyla- methylation pathways, then I don't understand why I wouldn't do that. And some people are also suggesting DNA testing is something you might want to do before you go on hormone therapy and just to assess your overall health and midlife. I spoke to Kashif Khan. He runs a DNA company and he's a really smart guy, self-taught, but they've had, I think 7,000 people that they've worked with. He said, most people fall into a bucket. He said also this metabolization issue is very important if you want to prevent cancer. Um, So that's a bit icky to talk to people about because they're on hormone therapy. They haven't had that test. It doesn't mean anything. It just means if you want to be ultra careful, I would also like to see people getting gut health testing. Um, because you also do some metabolizing of estrogen in your gut. And if that isn't working properly, then maybe you don't want to add that there. Um, do you have a fatty liver? Then I would also want to address that. It's Everything's going to work better if you just get this all. And all this research is nascent. Um, and then something else that I've heard talked about just once or twice is, does hormone therapy prevent cardiovascular disease or does it cause it? That's the question that's just All over the place. Or Alzheimer's. Yeah, or Alzheimer's. If you have some indication of calcium cardiovascular, you can do a test for that. And if you already have that, then maybe hormone therapy isn't the best idea for you. If you don't have any signs of early, 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 then it seems to be safe. And people are now doing the coronary CT calcium test. And that is something that I think is very interesting. It's not something you need to have, but it's something you might ask an integrative physician about to sort of get over that. And I'd also like the Dr. Dale resident. He wrote a book called the end of Alzheimer's. He suggests having a sort of a cognoscopy, a whole range of tests that assess your, your health of where you are. And a lot of those things are reversible with lifestyle. As you know, you know, you can halt the progress of this. You can change your diet. You can change your lifestyle. You can change your connections and your sense of purpose. And you can, you can add all those things to your life and sort of turn this around. So that's a lot.
0: It is a lot, but it's just so amazing that it's already out there, right? All these things that we could do. Why don't you find, and I know that was supposed to be my last question, yeah. but something came into my head. Why couldn't there be a clinic or a center that you go to and you get that kind of support if you want? So a little bit like, why don't we create, you know, a hot flash <laughs> ink, you know, uh um, a physical place where you go and you get to test all these things and you get to you know, meet other people and you get to work on that today? Is it because it's too expensive? It's not
1: insured? It wouldn't be insured? Or does it exist anywhere? I have no idea. I mean, it's definitely, we're so nascent on this, right? We're so behind. So a lot of the most forward thinking ahead of the curve businesses have been telehealth, you know, just even prescribing getting hormone therapy to people who want and need it. It's just very complicated in North America to do these kinds of things online and to do these kinds of things in person. So I know there's people opening menopause clinics. There's a doctor in the U S who's opening a chain of menopause clinics, but you know, a lot of times those tend to be hormone therapy focused with some lifestyle. Like what you say is like hot shank. If you just walked in and you knew you could hit all of these tests, you could be so sure before you went on hormone therapy that you were taking care of every risk. I just think it would be amazing, but it would cost a lot of a lot of money.
0: Well, if any investors are listening to this, <laughs> call Anne-Marie yeah. and I'll be your first customer. That's for sure. I honestly do think that this is what we need. I mean, rather than, you know, again, or you could be the menopause concierge where you take us to all the different places, but it's just, So much, and you can no longer find all of that in just one doctor or one practitioner. So, you know, when I was the head of transformation in my previous job, one of the things that we did was map out the customer lifetime or customer experience journey. And then we created our services and our support teams based on that journey, not the other way around, right? That's how the world is now. Understand me as a woman and create for me a center that revolves around my actual health journey. Mm -hmm. And maybe I do want to be able to see a nutritionist and I do want to be able to see a mental health practitioner. And I do want to have focus groups and I do want to test certain things and et cetera. So wouldn't that be just amazing for us to design things bottoms up and not just be told?
1: You know, you don't have to choose between right and left and East and West. You get it all. You get it all. There was a show called Private Practice that did that years ago. And I just always think, wouldn't that be great to walk into that? Okay. To think about it. Thank you for the effort. amazing Anne
0: Marie. Thank you so much. I will take from you all the information because you've mentioned so many experts and so many um, resources that I'm right. sure the listeners are going to love to listen to. But also, they can get in touch with you either through Instagram or your platform, uh, HotFlashInc.com, and we will have that also in the description of the episode. Thank you so much for your unbelievable knowledge and uh, sharing it so generously with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Bye, see you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I loved recording it for you. Reshape's community is growing and we decided to dedicate on Instagram a page just for you. You can now find us on Reshape by Ranya. Please comment and send your suggestions on the post and of course, through the DMs. For any collaboration, you can also contact us there. I really love reading your messages and they often inspire me in curating the seasons for you. Thank you so much for listening. Keep sharing and please stay in touch.